You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yep, yep. If it's variety you want, if it's college football with just a healthy dose of life seasoning mixed in, I got it for you. It's the Lake Kick Extra podcast. I've got probably one of the more savage Meemaw stories that you could ever hope to hear, and it will be woven into today's pod. This is pod only, by the way. You're not finding this on the Late Kick YouTube channel, and that's why I need you subscribing here. That is the beginning and ending of me begging you to do so. This is Mailbag. We do it once a week. Normally it's on Tuesday, but this week it's on Thursday because of March Madness-related issues. At Late Kick Josh Twitter, at Late Kick Josh Instagram. That's how you can submit the questions. And we dive into the first one with Hayden. Hayden hit us up from Cullman, Alabama. And Hayden said, do you think that the Power Five will have their own playoff and the group of five will have their own playoff too? And Hayden... The answer is, I don't think so. But here's the follow-up, Hayden. I sure wish they did. I've taken immense amounts of criticism for this over the years, and it's, it's one of the things I think should exist that I don't understand the controversy around. There are some things I think, uh, like playoff expansion, period. I get why some people push back against that. There are, there are very divided opinions on that. But long before anyone ever started talking about expansion and we just had the four-teamer, I looked around... And everyone was arguing about whether Boise State, even this is pre-playoff actually, whether Boise State should have a shot at the national championship or whether UCF should have had a shot at the national championship. And why? Because they went undefeated and an undefeated team deserves a chance to play for a title. And on the surface, that all makes sense. It certainly makes sense. I've never pushed back against those particular fans complaining. Because it's not UCF's fault, nor is it Boise's fault, that they play in a very flawed system. They're doing everything they're asked to do. They are winning, in their cases, every game that they played. UCF was undefeated. Utah, back in 08, I think it was, undefeated. But they didn't play for a championship. Why? Because uh, the committee or the computers, whatever was in charge at the time, looked at them and said, yes, your record is perfect, but we think other teams are better who play a higher caliber of competition. Did you hear what I said there? A higher caliber of competition. I also agree with that, that there were teams out there in 2017 that played a higher caliber of competition. Therefore, their records, even maybe with one loss, merited getting in over an undefeated UCF. So then the UCF crowd pushes back and they say, how could you say that? Even if you think they're better, don't we deserve an opportunity to prove it, to have it play out on a neutral field somewhere. 
And the answer is yes in theory, no in reality. So what Hayden just asked goes back to the argument I've made forever. Instead of trying to shoehorn every team in 130 plus, depending on the year, into this same category, why have we not done what, for instance, Major League Baseball has done forever? And that is understand there's a certain level of teams, we call that Major League Baseball, and then there's a certain level, we call it AAA and AA and single A. And I understand those are affiliates, and that's a tiered farm system for a big league team. But also, we understand the guys who are at AAA, the teams in AAA, AA, single A, they're also proportionately tiered based on talent level. And while it's not an end-all, be-all, their players in AA better than AAA, etc., whether it's an end-all, be-all, and whether it's a seamless comparison to college football, in college football a long time ago, Someone with common sense, in my opinion, should have looked around and said, I really don't think Central Florida is playing the same caliber competition week in and week out that LSU is. Why are we pretending anything other than that? Why are we pretending that Boise State is facing the same challenges week in and week out that Texas is? It's ludicrous. And so you can either be of the opinion that, well, none of that matters. All that matters is record, which is misguided at best in college sports. Or you could look around and say, why don't we just have different classifications? And with the classification system, I would also argue for a relegation system so that if I put you down in tier two, I also give you a path to tier one. And that's where you lose a lot of the suits. That's where you lose a lot of the more administrative, bureaucratic side of the fence. The ones that are in charge with making decisions, they want their seat at the table promised. They want their seat at the table guaranteed. And so they also reach across the aisle and they need to because that's where they, they get their sustenance. They get subsidized in many cases from existing in a world where the big boys are a feeder system for them. Sadly, in return, they are a feeder system. The talent comes there. They get developed. Then they transfer portal to the big boys. That's a broken system. It should have been fixed a long time ago, Hayden. I don't know that it'll be fixed this time. In fact, I, I don't think it will. I think, if anything, the 12-team format it guarantees you have at least one of those G5 caliber teams in per year. It just virtually guarantees that. You're taking the six highest rated conference champions. Yes, yes. So, I mean, you got five power fives out there. Do the math. You've got at least one. Then you've got six at-larges, and there's a half-decent chance a, a Tulane or, or hoopst ever could work themselves in. And you may think I'm, I'm anti-Tulane or anti-Boys. I'm not that at all. I love watching that stuff as much as you do. I just don't like that we pretend that this sport is something it's not. And, and what it's not is equal. It's not equal at all. There is a difference in strength of schedule. You are not what your record says you are exclusively. But they haven't elected me commissioner yet, Hayden, so we're going to deal with it for the time being. Happy to have you with us, though. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, happy to have you with us. Cringe Master hit us up from Gum Branch, Georgia. And he said, are you going to be holding an open competition for the naming of your next tour like you did last season? And the answer to all of my friends in Gum Branch, Georgia is yes. Yes, we will. We had, so two years ago, we had the Renaissance Tour. Last year, we had the Every Given Saturday Tour. And there were a lot of good submissions last year. I didn't hold an open competition the first year. But last year, we, we opened it up to the public. I said, give me your ideas for a tour name. And if you don't know what we're talking about, this is just us going on the road to a different game and a different campus every Saturday in the fall. We dress it up like a concert tour. Uh, we'll probably have some half-decent-looking merch for it this fall. But we give it a name. 
Last year was the Every Given Saturday tour, not to be confused with any given Saturday. And this year, fill in the blank. Literally, I'm telling you, fill in the blank. That's on you. That's not on me. I just, I want the finished product. I am readily aware that I don't have all the good ideas in the world. Uh, frankly, most of you have good ideas far more often than me. So yes, let's just open it up now. Let's just take an opportunity now. We'll open it up right here, March 23rd. Start submitting opportunities to adopt your tour name idea for this fall. There you go. It's out there now. Next up, Andrew hit us up from Jonesboro, Georgia. Peach State representing this morning. He said, will James Franklin ever face competitive pressure like Kirby Smart or Ryan Day, i.e. 10-2 with losses to Michigan and Ohio State, a Rose Bowl appearance, just not cutting it anymore? And he just described Penn State's 2022. Uh, that would be insane if, if anyone ever said that. I thought Penn State had one of the best years that they've had under James Franklin last year. Not a perfect season. This is like when people talk about politicians. They always preface it in this day and age with, no, I don't agree with everything he says. No, I don't agree with everything she says. It's like with James Franklin, people say, no, no he's, he's not the best coach in the world. No, he's not perfect. Let's just assume that no one's perfect, and let's just assume there's one Nick Saban out there, and let's assume no politician's perfect. Just say what you think. You don't have to preface it. No one really cares anyway. So with James Franklin... I don't really care that he's not perfect. I think he is way, way up there right now. And last year, you just described it, 11-2. and two. They lost to Michigan. They lost to Ohio State. Those two teams were in the playoff. Those were two of the four best teams in the country last year. So you could, theoretically, you could lose to those two teams. Theoretically, you could be the third best team in the country, if you, if you pick up what I'm putting down there. You could be the fifth best team in the country. And just because you happen to have those teams on your schedule, you lose to both of them. People say, oh, it's not good enough anymore. Oh, it's good enough. It's plenty good enough. If 11-2 and in a Rose Bowl victory is not good enough at Penn State, your coach is not the problem. You have become the problem. And I know most Penn State fans don't think like this. And I know the person asking our question here doesn't necessarily think like that. He's just asking because we've heard that kind of talk around Ryan Day. Ryan Day's in one of the most unique positions in college football right now in that he keeps on winning a ton of games in the regular season. Then the last two years, he ran up against Michigan with everything postseason related on the line, or so it seemed, and they've lost. So they haven't played for the Big Ten Championship the last two years. They ended up getting in the playoff last year, but people are talking like his job's on the line. I told you on the last show we did, I got to see that to believe it, but I also know how seriously... They take that whole, that whole galaxy of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry in Buckeye land, in, in Wolverine land. That's its, its own thing. It's like a one-game season. So if you, if you start losing several games in a row, that's a big deal for them. Now, if you live in Kansas, you're listening to me and you say, what do you mean several games in a row? He's lost two in a row. You know the last time that happened? Anyone? Because we said that on the show the other night, too. It, it's been the entire lifetime of a college-aged student right now since that's happened. It was back at the turn of the millennium. That's the last time that Ohio State has lost two games in a row to Michigan. So three games in a row, I think, was like 95 or something like that, the mid-90s. No one who's 23 years old remembers that. There's a whole generation. And then there are people who are 53 years old who have conditioned themselves to think, nope, that can't happen here anymore. Yeah, it happened once upon a time. 
It's, it's the Great Depression happened once upon a time. Hopefully we've taken steps to rectify the financial system. <laughs> I've got every finger crossed right now that we've taken those steps to where we don't have to deal with that again. At Ohio State, they think that they've, they've sort of Michigan-proofed the program. Maybe there's a loss every now and then. That's the way football happens. But we're not going to have a string of losses, especially when we've out-recruited them. We have no sanctions hanging over us. There's no chain around our ankle. Nothing's holding us down. If we're holding us down, then we're going to make sure we don't hold us down. That's the talk. That's the talk around Ohio State right now. At Georgia, Georgia and Kirby Smart, second year, comes, comes within an overtime period away from beating Nick Saban and winning a title, but he didn't. And then the next year, they're in the SEC title game against Bama again, and they come close again. There's a Hail Mary attempt at the end of regulation, but they don't get it done. And they had a really good team, one of the best programs in the country. But all they kept saying down in Jonesboro, Georgia, and everywhere surrounding it was, well, if we can't beat Saban, we can't beat Alabama, what are we really doing? Well, I'll tell you what they were doing. I'll tell you what Ohio State's doing. And I'll tell you what Penn State's doing. Playing some of the best football in the country. There's only one team per year that can play the best football in the country. And there's a, there's a lot of teams out there that are far closer to playing the best football in the country than being hot garbage. But there is also a, a zero-sum mentality out there. You either are a national champion, you either are in the playoff every year, or oh, we got to make changes. No, you, that's how you get yourself. That, that's how you get yourself in a situation like some of these programs that have been in the wilderness for several years. That's how you become Texas football. That's how you get yourself in the mess Tennessee's been in for quite a while, until very recently. So you ask them. You go ask a Tennessee fan three years ago. Hey, if you didn't beat Bama or Georgia, but you got to the Sugar Bowl and got a win, would that be a good year? You, you, they would not let you finish the sentence before they asked, where's the clipboard? Where do we sign? Where do we sign? Texas, same thing. You, you, you lose, maybe you lose to Oklahoma, but you still go to the Fiesta Bowl and you win. They're not happy about the loss to Oklahoma, but man, it beats what the alternative was for several, several, several years. He, he faces competitive pressure, does James Franklin. He faces it, yeah. But like I said the other night, and I'll say again, and then we'll move on, there is nobody outside the walls of that athletic facility that's putting more pressure on Penn State football than they put on themselves. And I think they're set up this year, and I'll talk about this plenty over the summer, I think they're set up this year for several reasons to have maybe the best shot at this whole playoff thing as they've had in several years, if not period, under James Franklin. They've had some good teams up there, but man, this is not one where they're talking about one-star player. I think Preview Magazine culture will talk about Drew Aller, and they may talk about those running backs. But man, I'm looking at several different layers of that team. There's not, there's not a massive weakness. That's not something we've said about Penn State. It, it wasn't but two years ago, they couldn't run the ball. And now they may have one of the Best running back tandems, not only in the Big Ten, but in college football. So, excitement here. As it take it from a guy who wears nothing but white t-shirts, at least when we're on Late Kick Live. I'm excited about Penn State this year. All right, next up. Man, we're moving fast this morning. But I greeted you. I told you what the show is. I, I checked all the boxes. We're good. Corbin hit us up. He said, will Bobby Petrino... <laughs> Will Bobby Petrino get benched by Jimbo Fisher if the Aggies are 3-2 and two heading into October against Alabama from Lorena, Texas? Ooh, man. I don't know what body language experts say about someone who scratches the back of their neck when a question gets asked, but 
I'm a little uncomfortable with it. I'll tell you that. I I think yeah. I think they're. I think it would be. It, it, oh boy. Do you see what it's like to answer this question? So so what we're asking here, to be clear, is Bobby Petrino gets hired as the offensive coordinator, because whether you think it's play calling or execution or whatever the case may be, things have not been good enough offensively at Texas A&M. So Jimbo Fisher finally makes a move. He brings in Bobby Petrino. He has his press conference the other day to start spring. And they, they asked him, is he going to call plays? And Jimbo was doing that thing where he doesn't even let you finish asking your question. Folks around the Aggie beat know all too well what I'm talking about before he starts answering it, and, which means he's not listening to you. He just, whatever. <clears throat> so he said, um, yeah, well, that's, you know, we'll figure that out as it goes. But yeah, I don't have a problem with that. That's the plan. He's going to call plays. And so that then harkens back to what I said the day he hired him, long before I heard a press conference about it. I said the same thing I say anytime a guy is allegedly giving up play calling duties. A head coach giving up play calling duties. You don't really find out how serious he is until the fall, until in the season, in the heat of battle. Because there is no pressure that you can simulate. There is no adrenaline that you can simulate in spring games or summer workouts or fall camp like you can in the middle of week three when you're down 17 to nine at Miami or something like that. So if that were to happen in this scenario slash scenario, A&M's three and two, let me tell you what that is. That is, your, that is my dad teaching 13-year-old JP how to drive. And we, we've gotten out on a country road. We're in the parking lot of a church and he's, he's bringing me over to the driver's seat. And he's saying, all right, now, I'm going to teach you how to drive here. There's no traffic. Okay, so here's all you have to do. Keep your hands at 10 and 2. One foot for both pedals. Don't be, don't be bumper carring it, keeping one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake. Here, let's adjust your mirrors. Is the seat high enough? Okay, here we go. Keep it 45 or under. And everything's fine. And I have his assurance that he's not going to grab the wheel. Well, we're in a parking lot. We're going zero miles an hour. Snap the buckle, look both ways, get out on the country road. Drifting towards the center line a little bit, wobbling back and forth, getting my bearings about me. That's okay, though. There's no traffic. In other words, we're playing New Mexico. We're playing Louisiana Monroe. There's no traffic. But then all of a sudden, just over the hill on the horizon, there's an 18-wheeler, probably headed to Cagle's Chicken in Hamilton, Georgia. And uh, it's getting closer and closer. And, you know, dad is in the passenger seat. He's not totally comfortable with the weaving I'm doing in the lane. What's he do? As we get near that 18-wheeler, what does he do? Does he trust me? Or does he reach over and just put his hand on the wheel and say, let me, let me just, let me make sure we get past this truck. Now, I'll turn it loose again. I'll turn it, but let me, let me make sure we get past this truck. That's how you decide whether someone has fully delegated responsibility or not. Because it's the same way in football. You won't know in fall camp. All the press conferences will sound like they're supposed to, I think. And then all the practice footage and all the player interviews will sound so copacetic. Oh, yeah, Coach Petrino, he's been a valuable addition. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just, we're so much more functional. Things are humming. Boy, we're going to show the world this year. And maybe you do. And if things go swimmingly, there's no reason for Dad to reach over. There's no reason for Jimbo to reach over and grab the wheel. But what if they're three and two? going into the Bama game. Then I'm over the center line and the Kegels truck is not slowing down. Dad's got to grab the wheel. Yes, yes. I think Jimbo would absolutely grab the wheel. 
knowing everything we know about him, yeah, I think he'd grab the wheel. Now, would that be would that mean Bobby Petrino getting benched as the person asking the question here? That's phraseology I've never heard about a coach. I don't know if that's what that would mean, but I will tell you, I don't think Jimbo Fisher would just stand idly by and say, huh, they tell me this is a do-or-die season for me. We're three and two. Some of our preseason goals are already out the window, but hey, screw it. I'm just going to let it ride. No, if he's going down, he's going down with his hands on the wheel. That's what I think would happen. Let's move on. And how, how uncomfortable would that be? I keep calling A&M a keystone program to watch this year because either they get it figured out and they're a surprise contender or they don't get it figured out and we're talking hot seat for Texas A&M with a 70-whatever-million-dollar buyout. Yeah, I don't care if you live in, in Pocatello, Idaho. I, that will be something to watch. Okay. I've got a question. Well, I've got, I've got a question that someone asked, but I've... Got a question for you, too. So my question to you is, think of your grandparents. Your grandparents just grew up in a different generation. Unbelievable. The greatest generation. And uh, some of them have some pretty crazy stories. I say war stories figuratively. Some of your grandparents have literal war stories. Which brings me to the next question. Meemaw Pate asked, what are your favorite memories of Meemaw? Meemaw is a reoccurring character who also happens to be my real-life Meemaw, who passed away in 05. Rest her soul. A literal, living, breathing angel in her time. Meemaw grew up in a different era than young JP did. Meemaw grew up in the 20s and 30s. And that was when she came of age. There are much better 20-year periods to have grown up, friends. I can guarantee you that. And so Meemaw did not have it easy. I think uh, Bradley asked me earlier, hey, what would Meemaw say if she saw you putting foundation on your forehead? I think I wear more makeup on air than Meemaw ever wore in her life. Meemaw just wasn't about that foolishness. Frankly, I'd, I probably, if she's watching us now, I probably would just rather keep that part of my life to myself. I don't, I don't even want to know what Meemaw would say about that. But anyway, you want a Meemaw story? Oh, I got one for you right quick. <clears throat> it's the heart of the Great Depression. Meemaw has an older sibling, her brother. He's out in the backyard chopping firewood one day. Meemaw, who was a little girl at the time, decides that she's going to have some fun with him. So she keeps putting her hand, her right hand, up on the chopping block and then pulling it away at the last minute. Putting it up there, pulling it away at the last minute. Until one time, she put it up there and didn't pull it away quick enough. And Meemaw's index finger, middle finger, and ring finger are chopped off on her predominant hand. Meemaw probably cried for a minute or two, but then she sucked it up and went the rest of her life and never changed her predominant hand. She just kept her right hand despite having only a thumb and a pinky finger. So then it comes time for little JP to come along, and she is my Meemaw, and she taught me to read, but she taught me to write too. Meemaw wrote like this. If you're not able to see what I'm doing, Meemaw just wrote with a pinky finger and a thumb. Now, I want you to grab the nearest writing instrument that you have, and I want you to feel that pinky and thumb. And she had better penmanship then than I have now. Meemaw was what a lot of your favorite artists claim they are in their music these days. None of your favorite artists are savage enough to have gone through life and kept their predominant hand with just a thumb and a pinky and then taught me to write. She ended up being a nurse, by the way. 
So Meemaw was, Meemaw was a different breed. So that's one of my favorite Meemaw stories. You ask me for more, I'll be happy to give you some more. Next up, Ethan asked, Do you think Michigan's recent recruiting shortcomings relative to their standards will affect their next season or two in a significant way, or will player development and other players be at a high enough level to compensate? From Indianapolis, Indiana. Ethan makes an interesting point, or rather he asks an interesting question here. This is a question a lot of people in our industry are wondering. So Michigan's won back-to-back Big Ten championships. They've gone to -to back-to-back playoffs. Harbaugh flirted with the NFL one time really seriously, another time pretty seriously, but now he feels like he's, he's set at Michigan for a little while. And history tells you they should be top five recruiting right now. And they're not. They're not bad, but they're not an elite recruiting outfit. And Ethan's asking, will the fact that they're not parlaying that success on the field to big time recruiting off the field, will that catch them? You know, will that cost them? And so the follow-up was, or are they just developing players good enough where they don't have to recruit top five classes? There's a, there's a healthy mixture of both. I would love to see them up their recruiting efforts a notch. And there are some early returns in this recruiting cycle that they're doing that. So I don't want to sell them short. And also, you got to keep in mind, this is the transfer portal era, and they've done a really good job, especially this last cycle, in the portal era. And they're not a poverty program, so they're not having to go out and just wholesale patchwork their roster with desperation additions out of the portal. They're able to say, okay, we don't really need anything, but we want a few pieces. Let's go into the portal. Let's be selective. And they've done that and they've been fine. But they were 13th in 2021. They were 9th in 2022. They were 17th uh, this past recruiting cycle. That's just high school recruiting. And so under Jim Harbaugh, if you just add it all up, they average about the 14th rated class in the country. And Ethan, if you develop like they do, and you have just a rock-solid culture and identity, and there's, there's no doubt who you are and what you're about, I think it's good enough. It, well, here's what it's good enough to do. <clears throat> it's good enough to do what they've done the past two years. It's good enough to win the Big Ten, It's good enough to beat Ohio State. If you operate at a high enough level, if you execute in that game, it's good enough to do that. And it's good enough to get you a Big Ten championship and get you to the playoff. I don't think Michigan is the caliber of program right now that could run up against a Georgia or an Alabama in the playoff, or TCU as it turns out. Uh, But I think about that game a little bit differently. But run up against Georgia the year before, Georgia does the same stuff you do. They develop their players, too. They have a rock-solid culture, too. They have a firm understanding of their identity, too. The difference is they got better players than you, and they do all that stuff. So when that's the matchup, you saw what happened two years ago in the playoffs. And it would be the same way against an Alabama if you had to run up against them. So if, if what Michigan's doing now is good enough, and I don't want to sound like you know, a couple of questions ago when we were talking about these people who, who don't understand how good it is to be at the level that a Michigan or a Penn State is right now. I don't want to talk like that. I don't, I don't want to sound ungrateful or unappreciative or myopic. But you also have a window. We, we have windows in this sport, and you never know how large your window is going to be. And Michigan's in a window right now, a national championship window. Are they going to be able to get one? That we don't know. But I will tell you, Ethan, if they don't, 
if they don't bring a different caliber athlete on campus, I don't know that I foresee on the horizon them matching up with the Alabamas and Georgias of the world in the playoff and coming out on top. Now, it's a, it's a four-quarter scenario. It's one game. So who knows? Any, any given, what do we play the title games on Monday? Any given Monday. Yeah, how authentically college football is that phrase? Don't get me started. But I do appreciate the development up there. I do appreciate the culture. I do appreciate the identity. All right, moving on. As I, as I apply some, can you tell I'm applying chapstick right now? There we go. Not lipstick, just chapstick. Don't worry, Meemaw. Frankie hit us up and said, hey, best barbecue in the SEC from Lowell, Arkansas. Well, that's very easy because it's in the state in which you reside, Frankie. It is Wright's Barbecue in Fayetteville, up in Arkansas. Went up there last year. The first stop on the Every Given Saturday tour last year was Fayetteville, Arkansas for Cincinnati versus Arkansas. I was in the throes of a caffeine overdose at the time. As regular listeners of the pod will recall, I couldn't see very well. I was having to Ray Charles my way around up there, wearing sunglasses indoors, but I did manage to remove the shades to take some pictures with our friends up there at Wright's Barbecue. They're also very active in the community up there. You would call them a pillar, I guess, a pillar of the community. So uh, our, all, of our, all of our buddies there took care of us, hooked us up. They fed us like it was our last meal, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. So I have not exhausted the entire phone book of barbecue joints in the South. You know I love Clearview Barbecue in Columbus. Country's Barbecue in Columbus has always been a great friend of mine. I was in a band once upon a time called 85 South, and we played at Country's and got in trouble for some underage drinking happening in the parking lot. We didn't know. How am I supposed to know? I'm on a drum set. How am I supposed to know? You learn more about me every day, don't you? So Wright's Barbecue, though, as far as being on the road, that's the best I've had in the SEC. All right, let's roll it on. Benjamin asked, what are some head coaching hires that you thought were just certain to go well, but they turned out to be underwhelming or maybe a complete disaster? I was sure that Charlie Strong was a great hire at Texas, and it just didn't go well. Current town, Fair Oaks, California. Well, Benjamin, I've got two of them. Neither of them are Charlie Strong, though. I got two of them. And I, what I've learned, before I give you the names, what I've learned in having the access that we get to have in our business is you get more of the full story behind the scenes of when a, when a hire does or doesn't work out. And I used to think this stuff was so cut and dry. I used to think that it was, you bring a guy in, and he's given whatever he asks for, and he either sinks or swims based on his merit. In a perfect world, that's what happens. This is not a perfect world. As, as Red said in, in Shawshank, uh, prison is no fairy tale world. Well, college football is not either. And the bottom line is, sometimes you're brought in, sometimes you're desperate, so you take any offer you can get. Sometimes you're not desperate, you're in demand, and someone dresses up their offer and their program, their job to be a little bit rosier than it actually is under the surface, and you don't find out until it's too late. And all of a sudden you get there, and you're getting told no on things that your opponents get told yes is on, but the fans don't know that. Media doesn't know that. They just show up on Saturday, and if you don't beat the other guy... Even though he's getting a bunch more things handed to him behind the scenes than you, you shoulder the blame. And you get paid millions of dollars so no one feels sorry for you. So that's what I've realized. And therefore, I never just look at guys, or I rarely look at guys and say, failure, failure, because I know the stories. You know. So the first one, Scott Frost. When he was at Central Florida, 
and he's, he's a Nebraska guy, and Nebraska has an opening, and Scott Frost is doing really good at Central Florida, and they hired him at Nebraska. I don't know anyone. There may have been people out there, but I never talked to anyone whose opinion I respected who told me, oh, Scott Frost isn't going to make it at Nebraska. No, that's a bad hire. That dude's going to fail. I certainly didn't sound like that. If you did, more power to you. I didn't think so. I thought he was a great hire. I thought it was, uh, here's the word of the, the year, it was the perfect confluence. He's available. They've got an opening. They're desperate. He wants to go back home. Because remember what the talk was. The talk was, ooh, Nebraska can't get a, an in-demand coach. But it just so happened that one of the coaches who was most in-demand happened to, happened to have that Nebraska tie. And Scott Frost goes up there, and his records were 4-8, and 5-7, Three and five in the COVID year, three and nine the next year, and then started one and two last year. He never finished higher than 17th in recruiting. He was 23rd, 17th, 20th, 20th, and 41st in his last cycle. It just never happened. He finished 16 and 31 overall. I didn't see that coming. I, and, and here was the worst part. At the end of his tenure, I remember doing a segment. Jesse and Colin, we did a segment when he got, when he got fired. And I remember saying the biggest indictment on Scott Frost is five years in or four years and change into his tenure at Nebraska. If you ask me, what is Nebraska football? I wouldn't know how to answer you. They didn't really have an identity. It's just the weirdest thing. And so that didn't work out. The other one that I was ultra excited about at the time was Jeff Collins coming to Georgia Tech. That's another guy that was from Atlanta. He grew up around the program. He had, he had an, uh, an attachment to the program, kind of like Scott Frost. And, and this was happening around the same time, by the way. I think Collins may have been hired one year after Frost did. So he comes in there, and that program was, was on life support. When they got rid of Paul Johnson, you know two things. Number one, you need to completely overhaul everything there you're going to bring a guy in and he has triple option personnel on his roster so he's got to be given time and he went three and nine three and seven three and nine and then they started off one and three this past year and he got fired and so I I thought that it was the the perfect match at the perfect time back in 2019 well here's what I think happened there he came in and then the COVID year was the next year so, so the year that they were really going to be able to sink their teeth into fully overhauling their roster, you can't go out on the road all of a sudden. And this, this is not unique to Jeff Collins. There were some coaches out there. There are guys who don't have jobs today that I think would have had jobs had COVID not happened. And the old, the old retort from the back corner is, well, everybody had to deal with it. Yeah, but everyone wasn't at the same point in their careers or at the same point in their journey. In other words, Nick Saban had it a little bit easier at Alabama than a Jeff Collins did at Georgia Tech. It, I guess I am making excuses, but whatever. That's reality. And like I said, he's not the only guy who had to deal with this. But he was at a place where they, they just they don't have the kind of recruiting infrastructure like a Georgia or an Ohio State or an Alabama to keep right on ticking. They don't have that, or they didn't have that at that point. So then what I noticed in our, in our model, we have, we have a heat chart. We have a heat map on the depth charts that teams have. And what I realized is post-COVID, I don't think people picked up on this at all, post-COVID, I looked at Georgia Tech and a lot of their matchups, and their heat map 
with the experience on their roster versus the experience on a lot of the other rosters that had the super seniors was it was men versus boys. They were playing like Pitt, I think, one year. And I was looking at Pitt. They got like 23 and 24-year-old dudes everywhere, and Georgia Tech has hardly any. And no one cares about that. They just care whether you win or lose. So Jeff Collins, I think in a lot of cases, there were some things behind the scenes that I don't necessarily think were, were delivered upon the way that they were, they were pitched in the interview process. But the other thing is, man, that COVID year and then the fallout from the COVID years, it screwed them royally. Screwed them royally. But again, no one cares. It's just, did you win? No? All right, you're out. Let's roll it on. I, I, oh, I'm glad it doesn't work that way in the media industry all the time. From Oxford, Mississippi, Justin hit us up. He said, if you could combine any tailgate scene with any game day atmosphere, what's your ideal game day environment? Uh, Justin, as I said, hit us up from Oxford, Mississippi. Here is the great crime that I committed when I went to the Ole Miss-Kentucky game last year. I didn't go out in the Grove because it was an 11 a.m. kickoff locally. So we had to do our pregame hits for CBS throughout the morning in the stadium. So I never got to go out into the, into the tailgate scene. And also, the, the fine folks in and around Oxford would tell you the 11 a.m. kickoff is not conducive to showing off the best of the Grove. So I can't, I can, I can answer the Grove just from the stories I've heard, but I haven't been able to experience it myself. But, but I know what you're looking for, Justin. So yes, the Grove is there. I really love the game day atmosphere at Tennessee. Now, granted, it's been unlike I've seen it in my lifetime the past couple of years. I, I don't think there's any place like LSU for a night game when, a, when an Alabama is in town. That is awesome. Michigan is a place that I got to go for my first time two years ago. And Michigan had a reputation in the South, at least, uh, when I was growing up, of being a place where it's, it's like 105,000 people, but it's kind of quiet. And uh, it was because of the construction of the stadium, whatever. So I go up there. It's snowing sideways. Ohio State's in town. They upset them for the first time in a long time. And it was one of the craziest environments I've ever seen. And they stormed the field afterwards. So y'all can talk about Michigan all you want to. Hey, my impression of the big house game day experience is just pandemonium. Wild scene. I loved it. So, I mean, if I go back when you guys have a, a sleeper noon kickoff against Indiana, okay, maybe, maybe it's a different story. But the way I've experienced it, it was awesome. Penn State, whiteout, again, was the first time I experienced Penn State. Awesome. Like, uh, I, I've always equated it to the mixture of a rock concert, WrestleMania, and a football game. In a sense that it, it's like the fans are performing along with the team. They have a role to play. And it was, it was really incredible. And then Oregon, Oregon, really good game day experience. But see, a lot of these places, when you talk about the tailgate scene, a lot of these places, I am not the best judge of that because the only time I see the tailgate scene is really maybe we walk through it sometimes going into a stadium. But other than that, that's it. I don't, I don't regularly get to go out there and partake. Shame on me. Shame on me, by the way. So we can, we can, I don't, we could change that, I guess. Um, we would have to talk to the, the powers that be around here, maybe just broadcast live from out there and sign the release forms in the process. But there's a lot of them out there, man. A lot of them out there. Uh, let's get our next question here. <clears throat> Ryan hit us up. He said, if you were the commissioner and say you want to move the first recruiting window to around August 1st, so the early signing day right now is in December. Ryan's saying, let's say you wanted to move it to August 1st. Would you worry about players asking to be released 
from their NLI in December. Most of them commit early. They attend spring ball. I worry schools who have coaching changes would lead to players wanting to be released. So anyway, he's asking, if we moved up the early signing day and you signed with Pate State, but then Pate State fires their coach in November, is it a concern that a bunch of my signees would say, wait a second, you fired our coach. We want out. Let us out of our signed letters of intent. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a concern, but it's, it's not a big enough concern to not do it. You would just very simply have to add wording into your new rules that exempt players and allow them to get out of their NLI if things happen. And one of those things could be if the head coach is fired. Now, there's this big conversation that happens around this topic because what, what the, the conundrum could be is let's say I'm the head coach at Pate State. It would behoove me greatly to stack my class to convince as many of my kids to sign in August as possible. Why? Obviously, because they're leverage for me. And if I get into October and late October, I'm four and four, but I've got a big time signing class already in my back pocket. If you're thinking about firing me and you're on the fence, you're thinking about that signing class. And you're thinking about the fact that if we fire him, we better be really sure. Because if we fire him, we're losing all those players. Look at that five-star quarterback. If we fire him, we're pretty sure we're not going to get that kid. That's all of a sudden leverage. And so people say, do do you really want a system like that? And it's like, yeah, I still do. I still do because I would much rather have it that way and have kids able to get out of their NLI if something happens that's unforeseen. Um, I'd rather have it that way than have December like it is right now. December right now is a disaster. December right now was structured by people who don't have to live it in the actual world of football, and it should not be that way. And you've, from a coach's perspective or a player's perspective, it shouldn't be that way. So I would, I would very much advocate for, for that. And also think about it from our perspective. Think about it from a fan's perspective. You would have, so you would have all of your spring and summer, and you just live your life. Then you've got media days that happen in July. Then f- I, here's where I would put it. Personally, I would put it the last day of July or the last Wednesday or whatever you want to make it of July. I would that, make that my early signing day. And then fall camp opens and it's time for college football season. And the next signing day, the second signing window is February where, where the normal one always has been. And we get to worry about college football and you can still follow recruiting, but a lot of it's already hay in the barn. And then we get to December, and we don't have all that distraction. I hate how fragmented December feels. Because you've got, number one, you've got Christmas. December's the most whacked out month anyway. Because no one's on the same schedule. You're trying to figure out who's working when. When are we going on vacation? Uh, when are we going to grandma's house? And you're also trying to balance, oh, oh, I'm also a college football fan, so let me make sure I'm following early signing day. And then we've also got the playoff coming up, uh, bowl games r- during Christmas. And then, and then right after Christmas, when you've mentally checked out, it's like you have to check back in. And then you've got, theoretically, the biggest games of the year that are about to happen. I've, I've always hated that. I can't do anything about Christmas. I can't move it. I could maybe move around the college football calendar if you let me college football commissioner. But definitely, I would move that early signing date up, and I could not care less if it leads to some drama. And case by case, coaches getting fired, and players getting released from their NLI. I, I would just say, make sure you've hired the right guy. Or don't have such a quick trigger finger on your head coach. 
In fact, now that I say that out loud, we may have more positives than negatives. Because maybe it forces a program to stick with a coach a little bit longer. All right, and and if, he's, if he's that much of a disaster, he's probably not landing a great recruiting class anyway. Thomas, next up. What is the most overrated movie you can think of? Or one that you can't figure out why it's as critically acclaimed as it is? From Fort Warrior, Ala- well, it's not Fort Warrior, it's just Warrior, Alabama. Just moved from Raleigh, he says. <sighs> There's two questions here. One is overrated, and one is can't figure out. So I've had this debate before. Can something be overrated if you haven't seen it? Can a movie be overrated if you haven't seen it? And I think the answer is no. Well, it may be, you can't know if it's overrated until you've seen it. And also, there's the whole, what can't you understand? So the second part was, are there just movies you can't understand why they got as big as they did? And there absolutely is a lot out there I can't understand. Like, there's, you know where I'm about to go with this. Or do you? We'll be back in a second. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know what that sound is? It's a lightsaber. I'm waving it in your face because you didn't see that ad toss coming. And secondly, Star Wars is what we got to talk about. I've never seen it. Keep quiet, CYT, you know, you know what that acronym is or you don't. But I've never seen Star Wars, okay? Sue me, whatever. So I'm not going to tell you Star Wars is overrated because I've never seen any of them. I, they've got like 57 of them at last check. I've never seen any of them. I don't even know what order I would watch them in right now. I have no clue what the difference is. But I will say this. I asked Bradley, young Bradley, young-ish Bradley, on our staff earlier. I said, what would you describe Star Wars as? In terms of genre, he said, it's a space opera. Perfect. Perfect. Space opera. If you want to know what thing out there 
I can't understand blowing up like it did. The space opera genre, I can't understand it. Granted, I haven't seen it, but I can't understand it. There are many, there are many franchises, like the Fast and Furious franchise blew up. I get it. Fast cars and being in danger. I get the genre. I understand, even if I didn't like the movies, I get why that blew up. For the life of me, out of all the things that could blow up as a genre, space opera. I've never been able to understand it. I maybe have a lot of you out there yelling right now, well, once you watch it, you'll understand it. And maybe you're right. Am I ever going to watch it? I don't know. I'm not one of these people who just resists for the sake of resisting. Maybe I will. I need full guidance on what to watch, by the way. And the thing about Star Wars is I'm not anti-Star Wars because I remember back when I was a little JP and they, whatever had come out, either Burger King and McDonald's was just in bed with the Star Wars franchise. And they had a series of toys in those Happy Meals that were pretty legit. And so I liked my Star Wars toys, but I never watched the movies. And uh, here's how popular Star Wars is. Bradley, young Bradley, young-ish Bradley, dared me to name some characters the other day. And I rattled off like four or five of them. So I know the characters. That's how ingrained in our pop culture, in our DNA it is. And yet I've never seen it. And I don't get it. Don't get it? Maybe I'll watch it one day. Whomst knows. I think maybe some people talk about college football like that. They don't get the passion because they haven't experienced it. Maybe, maybe college football is someone's Star Wars out there. I'll tell you what. I will watch Star Wars in exchange if you get one of your agnostic sports fans out there to spend a year immersed in college football. Because I think that juice is worth the squeeze. Immunity. Mike Penix third, Probably not the real one, though. Hit us up and said, more impactful move. Texas and OU to the SEC or the LA schools to the Big Ten from Bloomington, Indiana? I think the answer is the LA schools to the Big Ten. I don't, I, I know it's a huge deal that Texas and OU are going to the SEC, but those are, those are still programs that feel like the SEC first off. They just, when, when they're in here five years from now, you won't even think of them as former Big 12. They'll just, it's like A&M now. They'll feel like SEC. Uh, Arkansas, you know, back in the early 90s, I think Arkansas and South Carolina came in. It didn't take long before they just felt like the SEC. I think Texas know you'll feel the same way. It's going to take a long time before I look at that USC logo and say, oh, Big Ten football. It's going to be a long time before I see Penn State playing a game in the Rose Bowl and think it's something other than the Rose Bowl game. That Penn State is going to play a conference game in Pasadena, California. That is a little befuddling, if I could steal a word from The Rock. That's a little befuddling. But also from a more overarching standpoint of impact, just think about what it did to the sport. Think about what it could still be doing. We're talking in the past tense. It's happening right now. USC and UCLA, I've told the story before, we were in LA last year when that news broke, and then them leaving... It sends this huge shockwave through the Pac-12 that's being felt as we speak, and they're trying to get their media deal done, and that news could come down at any minute, and no one is, is firmly confident that the Pac-12 is even going to stay together. Are they going to have teams poached? Will maybe more programs go to the Big Ten from that conference? Who knows? So you're not really talking like that with OU and Texas because as soon as OU and Texas announced they were leaving... Not only was there a change in commissioner in the Big 12, but the new commissioner comes in and says, hey, you guys, why don't you just go ahead and leave early? 
Give us some money. Go ahead and leave early. We don't, we don't need you anymore. Because I went and got Brigham Young. I went and got Houston. I went and got UCF. And I went and got Cincinnati. We got us a new TV deal because we cut the Pac-12 in line. They're, they're okay. They're okay. They're not going to be the equal of the Big Ten or the SEC. No one else will. This side of the NFL, no one else will. But they're okay. They're on solid ground right now. You can't say that about the Pac-12. And also, you can't say that, therefore, about the overall landscape of, of what your playoffs going to look like and what college football is going to look like. Are we even going to use the phrase Power Five very much longer? Have you thought about that? Moving into this new playoff era, or even if we stayed in the old playoff format, if someone wins the Pac-12, presently we think of them as a Power Five conference champ. Are we always going to think of it that way? If you've got the, the quality teams or too many quality teams exiting your portfolio, what is that line of demarcation where when you fall below it, we don't view you as power whatever anymore? We view you as group of whatever. I don't know, but I think we're dangerously close to flirting with it. And therefore, I think USC and UCLA leaving, that was a much bigger deal to me than OU in Texas. All right, here's, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The ping pong tournament rages on in the office right now. And people have irresponsibly scheduled vacation. Not your boy. No, no off season here, but some people do acknowledge that it is spring and they want to go do things like spend time with their families, whatever. So I am in the final four and I'm awaiting my opponent, friends. And as soon as we hit stop on this podcast, I'm about to go witness a showdown in the northern region. I'm in the southern region. I'm in the southern region of the bracket, but the northern region is going to be hotly contested, but I do have some news for you. Upset City. Producer Jesse is in the final four. What? Yes, Producer Jesse is in the final four, and he won in straight sets over one Emily Proud yesterday, and I doubted Producer Jesse. Everyone did, quite frankly. He was a point spread underdog in both matches, even when he won the first one. He was, a, he was an underdog in game two. And he won, and so I'm just apologizing to him on air. Don't get used to it, Jesse. But I guess what I'm trying to say is congratulations to me and Jesse. And the rest of you, we'll see you when we see you. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the pod on the way out. We'll be back Sunday night with a brand new episode of A Late Kick Live. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care, and God bless. now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.